Well, good morning, friends. Welcome to Evangel Church Online, a safe place for everyone to explore faith in Jesus. Today, we're going to be talking about focusing on some fruit as we continue our, or as we finish our Markers of Maturity series. But before that, we're going to learn some things about Father's Day because happy Father's Day to all you dads. So stay tuned. Hey friends, my name is Marcus. I'm one of the pastors here at Evangel. And I wanna say to all of you dads, happy Father's Day. Uh, We're so thankful for the leadership that you provide, for the example that you set uh, for your children and for uh, the parents that you are spiritually to those who maybe don't have a father relationship in their life. Well, if you remember on Mother's Day in May, we did a little bit of like a Mother's Day around the world where we traveled to a couple of traveled to a couple of different countries and kind of saw some of the traditions that they had around Mother's Day. So I figured it was just only fitting that we did that for our dads today as well. And so the first place that we're stopping at is Thailand. And Thailand had a king uh, that they they beloved. He was uh, a beloved monarch. His birthday is on December 5th. And so that's actually the day that they celebrate Father's Day. So often they would hear a speech from that king and then what the uh, Thai people would do is they would bring canna lilies to their fathers and their grandfathers and canna lilies were a sign of masculinity and so that's often how it was uh, celebrated in Thailand. Well the next place that we're going together is Russia. This is great since we can't travel around the world right now yet. Uh, So the next place that we find ourselves in is Russia. And Russia, Father's Day was actually more celebrating just men in general, and it was uh, started in Russia at, during war times. And so the tradition is still kind of continued where there are parades, uh, military men are honored and celebrated and given awards. And so you can find that kind of all throughout Russia where there are parades and festivals and celebrations, um, kind of in a military style. And so they kind of have their origin uh, all the way back back there and in, in a little bit more of a wartime situation. Well, the next place that we find ourselves, uh, if only we could travel this quickly, is Brazil. And in Brazil, they celebrate Father's Day on the same day that they celebrate Saint Joachim. And Saint Joachim is uh, purported to be the mother of the Virgin Mary. And so he is the patron saint, the patron saint of fathers and grandfathers. And so it's celebrated in practicality similarly to how we celebrate here in North America uh, with presents and gifts and uh, fun with your parents and with your dads and just celebrating uh, each other together. Well, finally, I think one of the most interesting ones that I, that I found as I kind of did a little bit of digging this week was in Nepal. And in Nepal, they celebrate Father's Day by, by a bit of a tradition. So they do have all the food and the festivals and all those things, but it is also tradition for children and especially male children uh, to bow their forehead to their father's feet. And then they would uh, rise up and make eye contact with them. And this is just a sign of honor uh, toward their father. And Um, And then they would kind of have a little bit of festival and celebration on that as well. But I think that's just such an interesting kind of act. And and not that we um, do the same thing, but I think it's a great moment that we can take here to just honor our dads, to honor the leadership that they provide, 
to recognize that we are given the best example through our Heavenly Father. And so I'm gonna pray for all of you fathers today and for us as we uh, continue on this stream this morning. So God, we thank you so much for the example that you have set as our Heavenly Father. That you are kind to us, that you are there to protect us and to shield us, and that you are one who cares and loves and sacrifices. And so we thank you so much for that ultimate example uh, God, that you gave to each one of us of what a father, of who a father can be and who a father is. For all the dads here, Lord, I pray that you would bless them on this day and that you would just give them more of your wisdom and your spirit that uh, continues to walk with each one of us. And we thank you for the examples that they are of strength, of leading a family, um, of, of what it means to walk with Jesus. And so we thank you so much for our fathers. I pray that you would bless them today. I pray that you would just continue to walk with them and that they would sense your presence even now as we enter in uh, to your word together. So we thank you so much, Jesus, and we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, you're stuck with me again uh, as we open the word together. Lucas and Lisa are on holidays, and so they send their well wishes and they say hi, um, but you get to hear from me today. And so I want to ask you a question as we jump in. When was the last time that you did an escape room? You know what I'm talking about? Those rooms that you go into, it's like a puzzle, but 3D life-size version where you're often locked uh, in a room and you have to find all the puzzle pieces. You have to search around the room and try to figure out some of the clues. Uh, there are some things in there that maybe are, are there only to kind of throw you off or lead you down a pathway that makes it more difficult. And I love escape rooms. I haven't been able obviously to do one in a while, but I did one a couple of years ago that I will never forget because I've done them in varying difficulties. I've even done them online. Um, I've done them with lots of friends, but this one was distinct. I was put uh, on a leadership team uh, in college. And so the leadership team, the directors, they put on an escape room for the, the program that I was interning with. And so they created their actual, like their own escape room. It was really awesome. And so I was put on this leadership team together. We were all gonna do it together. We were pretty confident. We had known each other for a while. We had worked together on teams before. A lot of us were really close friends and had kind of been in college with each other for a couple of years. And so we thought, you know, we got this. That's one of the main things about escape rooms is they're there for team building for working through problems together, for dealing with conflict, all of those things. So we're pretty confident that we're gonna be able to escape. In fact, in my maybe more competitive side, that's, you know, still working on that, is I wanted to be the fastest to, to finish that escape room. Out of all of the other students who had tried it, I wanted our team to be the fastest and I was pretty sure that we could do it. So when the door closed, when that timer started to count down, all of us, like, so fast, began looking around. Uh, we ripped around that room, trying to find the clues, trying to solve uh, all of the puzzle pieces so that we could escape and get that key for our release. So we went at breakneck speed. Well, we solved the first few puzzles. It was really quick. We we're like, oh man, we're working through this really fast. Like we're doing a great job right now. And we were getting to the last ones before escaping. We knew that our time was good. We were tracking along all the clues. We were feeling pretty great. And so the one that I was working on, kind of amongst the hustle and bustle of everyone else trying to find more clues, was this map. And on this map, there were pins placed in certain parts of it. And beside each pin was a letter. So then on the table under the map and in front of me, 
there was all of these ciphers. And ciphers are a tool that you can use um, often to, like there's one outer ring that has either letters or numbers. And then in an inner ring, there are also either the opposite. If there's letters on the outer ring, numbers on the inner ring. And so you turn the cipher so that it works together to give you a code that certain letters indicate certain numbers or the opposite. So I pulled this one up. There was a bunch on the desk, but I found this one and it looked like it should be right because we were trying to unlock a lock that was a numbered lock and there were letters on the map. And so I just figured, of course, this is what I should be focusing on right now is this cipher with letters and numbers. Of course, that's going to be it. And so I was so certain that this was correct. So I frantically began twisting that cipher, trying to figure out what was what, having that combination of numbers, trying to figure out what that all meant. And so I frantically began moving that cipher and I found four numbers and I gave them to my friend to unlock that box that had the key that would promise our escape, that would promise us that win. So they put it in and with these ragged, excited breaths, we all waited for that satisfying click as that lock detached and we opened that chest with the key. Only it never came. The lock stayed well locked. I, I couldn't believe it. I, I had given them the right numbers. And so I figured I just, maybe they got it wrong. Maybe in their frantic kind of rolling of those numbers, they did it, you know, in an incorrect order. So I gave it to them again and it still didn't work. Well, how could that be? This was the right cipher. This was what the map was telling me. This is what I was focusing on. This was the cipher that was the correct one to be using. This is what I should be focusing on. So we couldn't find anything else to give us a clue. We couldn't find anything else that could potentially get us to the right combination of numbers. I had a friend that suggested, hey, maybe we should do something else on this table. But I was like, no, I'm focused. I know what I'm doing. This is the right one. And so we couldn't find anything else. And eventually the time ran out. We had failed. And I was so defeated. I was sure that I had just missed something on that cipher that I was focusing on. And as we walked out disappointed, crestfallen, a little sheepish as we were kind of boasting before that we were going to be the first and the quickest. The director of the leadership team I was on asked if we wanted to know where we had gone wrong. So of course I wanted to know, like what was I focusing or not focusing on that particular cipher that cost us the game? And so I will never forget that moment where he walked over to the table and he picked up a different cipher than the one that I had used to solve it. It was in fact one that my friend had suggested to me but I was like, no, 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 no. We're not focusing on that one. That's the wrong one. We're focusing on this one that I know is right. And so I'll never forget that moment because although it was just a game, what I focused on ended up leading myself and my whole team astray and it ended up costing us the win. Have you ever been there where you were so focused on the steps ahead of you that you ended up missing out on the attempt on what needed the attention in the right here, right now. I know I have, I know I will never forget that lesson. And what I learned there was that what we focus on determines our trajectory. What we focus on determines the path that we walk. I will never forget that what you focus on matters. And sometimes focusing on, on things that look right or that seem flashing, flashy or that's a couple steps ahead of maybe where you feel like you are now actually doesn't lead itself anywhere good. It actually just causes you to remain stuck where you are. 
And sometimes I think we can do this when we keep in step with the spirit, where we're so focused on what comes next, on those steps ahead, on maybe those steps ahead that somebody else is that we feel like we should be at, that we end up missing out on the very step that he is leading us on and in right now. And I think this especially comes to the fruit of the spirit. Because when we list, look at the list of the fruit of the spirit in Galatians, doesn't it seem just a bit like basic? I mean, I know I can read these and quickly breeze past them and, and onto like other more like mature or, or complex things of the spirit. But I think what we end up doing when we do that is we, we focus on the steps ahead and we miss out on the spirit's work in our lives that he wants to do right now, where we begin to take steps forward without creating that foundation in which to walk. And so what I think that we uh, are doing and, and what at least I'm learning in this series on the fruit of the spirit as we conclude this week is that the, the spirit wants to do that work of the fruit of the spirit in our lives right here and right now. That that's something that he wants us to focus on as he produces in us. But this isn't actually the only of the spirit that we find in scripture. We have the fruit of the spirit, but the other kind of of the spirit that we find are the gifts of the spirit. Things like prophecy or a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge, healing, mercy, uh, faith. There are a multitude of other ones that we find in kind of different lists with, within and throughout scripture. And so when I read those, I'm like, oh, those sound shiny. Those sound like way more exciting gifts than the fruit of the spirit. Those sound maybe like the upper echelon of faith when people are operating in those ones. But I think this series has taught me is that the fruit of the spirit is, a, is something that we need to constantly focus on and sometimes circle back to as we keep in step with the spirit. And so what I want to explore today as we open God's word are the last five fruits of the spirit. Pastor Lisa started us off with the first four. And so we're going to end uh, today with that whole list and then also how, they, how, how those fruits should command our focus before we focus on any other gifts of the spirit that he brings. And so we're going to read together in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 to 23. If you don't have a Bible, we would love to get one in your hands. If you go to myevangel.church forward slash Bible, you can either find an online copy that you can download right now um, as you pause this stream, or uh, you can submit a short form on that website. And if you live in the Powell River region, we would love to put one physically in your hands. I know I'm somebody who likes a physical Bible. And so if I didn't have one myself, I would fill out that form. And so that's there for you as our gift. And so let's read together. Galatians 5 verses 22 to 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that you are the one who produces this fruit. And we thank you that we can keep in step with your spirit, that it's not us that's blazing that trail, but Holy Spirit, what we do is we follow you as you guide us and lead us. And so Lord, I pray that our ears would be uh, open to hear how you guide us and lead us through your word today. May my words that I speak be so quiet that they fall uh, from our mind and that they don't even cross uh, into our into our minds, but that only your word speaks clearly to our hearts today, because that is the thing that brings tra transformation in our lives. So Lord, do that work that only you can do. We thank you that we get to partner with you every day. We pray this in your name, Jesus. 
Amen. Amen. Well, like I said, when I read this list, it's, it's quick, it's short, it can kind of seem a little bit basic. But what I love about scripture is that when you look through it, there's so much depth and richness to be mined from it. Pastor Lisa talked last week about the difference between supernatural and synthetic fruit. How the spirit is the only one that can produce true fruit. And how often when we try and produce synthetic fruit, it's fruit that we attach our own definition to. That we kind of layer over what the text is saying in the Bible. But authentic, real fruit comes from digging in and allowing the definition that the Bible gives us to inform us of how we should live. And so we uh, are going to continue with what Pastor Lisa was doing last week by kind of looking at the, the Greek words of those fruits and just see what kind of richness that it brings with us. And so as we continue the list, we're starting today on kindness. Kindness in Greek is krestostes. And what it kind of is, it's the active side of patience. If you remember last week, Pastor Lisa said patience is being large-souled. I love that term where, where our soul has a capacity to withhold and, and hold other people without breaking or snapping or bending. And so this, is, this word kindness is almost like the action word of that, where it includes uh, like showing grace towards each other and actively pursuing their good over ours, where there's no gain that we want, there's no benefit to us, but it's, it's just simply uh, seeking after the goodness of somebody else. And then it also has to do uh, a little bit with also with repentance. So it kind of has like a little bit of a dual term here. Because this word is often used in scripture. Jesus' yoke is called krestos. It's called easy or, or light. It's the same kind of root word that we find kindness from. It's also said in Romans 2.4 that God's kindness is what leads us to repentance. That his kindness is the active pursuit of our good that comes from turning away from sin and, and looking back to Jesus. I found a great quote that kind of sums this gift up. It says, kindness is a language in which the deaf can hear and understand and the blind can see. Kindness is the language which the deaf can hear and understand and the blind can see. Now this quote is often misattributed to Mark Twain. Um, randomly, but it actually comes from a man named Christian Nestle Bovey, and, and it's from 1857. But it's the active pursuit of somebody's good. It's an action for the pure goodness of someone else that goes beyond just what we hear, not just that goes on beyond what we see, but it's something that we can touch. It's tangible. It's something that we can hold. That's what it means when the deaf can hear and understand it. The blind can see it because it's tangible. It's not just lip service. Um, it's not just looking a certain way or projecting yourself a specific way, but it's tangible. It's something that we can hold in our hands. It's the good of others that's active. And then the next word that we find is, is goodness. And, and kindness and goodness are, are very closely related in this list. Um, in fact, sometimes they're hyphenated to be kindness-goodness rather than like two distinct separate words. Whereas kindness is exclusively for the benefit of another person, Goodness is, as William Barclay puts it, virtue equipped at every point. There is a sense of sweetness with kindness, but there's a sense of strength that comes with goodness. Goodness in Greek, agathosune, uh, could include rebuke. It could include discipline in order to maintain a sense of, of Christ-like virtue. 
And so that's where the strength of goodness comes. And that word agathosune is like the broadest word for goodness that could be used. And so there's no real like specific narrowing that we find. It's broadly whatever is virtuous in a Christ-like way, that's what goodness is. For instance, Jesus, when he cleansed the temple, showed goodness, that strength, in order to preserve the equitability of worship for all, that he cleared the temple because the virtue of having every person have access to God's presence was important to Jesus. But he showed kindness to the woman who broke the alabaster flask at his feet to anoint him. Whereas the people in that story were upset at this woman. They said, hey, don't you know how much that costs? That could be given to the poor. And Jesus says, no, what this woman did was good because the poor you will always have, but I will only be with you for a while. And this woman has, has anointed me for my death and burial and resurrection. And so that's kindness where he didn't rebuke this woman, where he didn't say, hey, this is a virtue here that you should be focusing on. He was kind to her and saying, this is, this is a blessing towards me. This is good that what, uh, as of what you've done, this is kindness. So if you remember, we see that kindness and goodness are kind of interrelated with each other, but they have distinct meanings. Goodness is virtue equipped at every point. Kindness is for the sole exclusive benefit of somebody else. And faithfulness is the next word that we find. It's kind of the most translatable at face value. It's devotion to the Lord. It's our dependability and trustworthiness in our relationships around us. It's that integrity word where what we say happens and what we say yes to is yes and what we say no to is no. What is going on internally is reflective of what we express in our world and, and to each other. Uh, the word there for that one is pistis. It comes from like just the word faith. Um, and so that's kind of maybe the one that's most translatable at face value for us, but still holds tremendous meaning that Jesus was faithful in, in going to the cross that we are faithful to each other um, and that it's a, it's a fruit that the Spirit produces in us. And then the next word that we find is gentleness. And gentleness in Greek is praoutes. It can also kind of sometimes be translated as meekness. And one of the best explanations of the word that I've seen for, for meek is, is strength under control. Because sometimes it can be really easy to see meek as weak. Where, where we equate, me, equate meekness to like being the doormat for people to walk on top of and over. But I think that's not what gentleness is. I don't think gentleness is just like, like allowing people to step over us. It's just kind of like be passive about everything and just kind of let the world happen around us. But it's strength under control. Richard Barclay has a great commentary on, on gentleness. He says, in the New Testament, gentleness has three main meanings. One, it means being submissive to the will of God, that we're willing to, to take scripture at its word and obey it. It means being teachable, being not too proud to learn, where that gentleness is allowing other people to speak into our lives. But three, most often of all, it means being considerate. And what throws most light on its meaning is that the adjective preos is use of an animal that has been tamed and brought under. Again, that strength under control, tamed and brought under. And so it's so interesting that gentleness has a sense of strength to it, that it takes an incredible amount of strength to be gentle. Because how easy is it to be reactive? 
How easy is it to be abrasive? How easy is it to be unrestrained in the way that we treat other people? How easy is it to kind of just be the incredible Hulk where all of the strength that we have just runs rampant? But that gentleness is strength under control. And finally, our list ends on the word self-control, enkriteia. And this word is a joining of two words, en, in, and kriteia, which ends up kind of translating into dominion over or, or mastery from within. It's moderation in our appetites and behaviors. It's used by Paul in another one of his letters in 1 Corinthians to describe the discipline that an athlete undergoes, that it's this choice and volition to work at it, to master oneself from within. And I think that's the most important part of this nuance in the Greek word, is that it implies that self-control comes within oneself and not by oneself. What I mean by that, it's an inner mastery that cannot be done on our own. How often have you tried to be self-controlled, working at it, and, and you know, working on your own strength and, and just having you give in a couple minutes later. I know I do that with some snacks in my cupboard. Where I'm like, no, I don't need that today. I'm gonna hold off. And then 20 minutes later, I find myself with a bag of chips open on my lap and I'm like, how did I get here? I was trying to be self-controlled. Where we feel like we've conquered that particular thing that we need self-control with, but then later we end up binging on it because we've been restricting ourselves in that certain way. That kind of thing is when we attempt to have self-control by oneself, rather than trusting in the person who is within us, the Holy Spirit. It's not just this passive thing where we just allow the Holy Spirit to create self-control. I think it's a partnership that we must take with him. Because when we allow the Holy Spirit to produce self-control within us, it allows us to kind of stop white-knuckling our way through our flesh's appetites and desires and instead it allows us to be disciplined in a way that lasts and that produces good things within us. And out of that spirit-partnered self-control from things that do not benefit us, we experience the fullness of life that holiness brings. That is not rule-keeping or adding things to a certain particular way, but it's allowing the spirit to create that holiness, that self-control, uh, that self-control is part of within us. And we find ourselves at the end of the list and can be easy to like close our Bibles at that point and be like, all right, we're good. We have that list. But there's an interesting piece that's appended to the end of this list. It's found in Galatians 5.23. It says, against such things, there is no law. See, the main thrust of the letter to the Galatians was to actually clarify the role of the law after Jesus' new covenant through his death and resurrection that freed us from the constraints and restrictions of the law. Paul talks about Christian liberty throughout much of this letter. He talks about the freedom that we have in Christ, the freedom that we're set free in, that it allows us not gratify the desires of the flesh, but to walk in the spirit. And he argues that Christian freedom, again, is not to indulge the lower side of human nature, but rather to walk in life and in step with the spirit. And I think Paul, when he says against such things with the list of fruit of the spirit, against such things there is no law, I think he was actually kind of being a little bit tongue-in-cheek. I think he was being a little bit cheeky with, with the Galatians. He's like, he, he was saying, hey, you want all of these restraints added to your faith? That's what they were doing. They were adding certain parts of the law that they thought was their salvation, that they thought um, was the only way that they could receive salvation. And so they were adding that to themselves and it was causing this division. 
And so he's like, hey, you want a list? I'll give you a list. Here it is. But guess what? There's no constraint on this one. That you've been adding all these things to constrain your faith. And I'm going to give you another list that you feel like does that as well. But this one's actually for your freedom. And I think it's so fascinating that he does that. It's for your freedom, not your restraint. And I think this is actually the ultimate purpose about Paul's argument on Christian liberty. That we can, without restriction, live as people who are loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, good, faithful, gentle, and self-controlled. Because we are not the ones who produce this fruit within us, but the spirit within us as we follow him. Now, I do think it's important to remind that expressing these things in Christian liberty means that we express them through the paradigm of scripture. It can be easy to hear me say, like, you can express all these things as much as you want and in any measure as you want and in any way that you want and have that be the stop. But I think that that's dangerous because we have to have all of those things. We can express all of these things as much as we want. Yes. In whatever measure we want. Yes. To whomever we want. Yes. But it needs to be through the paradigm of scripture. It needs to be through surrendered hearts to his word in obedience. It's not the, through the paradigm in the way that we think these words should be defined, like the synthetic fruit Pastor Lisa was talking about. It's not uh, expressed without measure in the way that the culture defines these particular words, or even the way that our flesh wants, but the way that God intends. And I think that is the way that we experience against such things there is no law. That's how we can experience the life that comes out of not having to restrain the way that we express these things. Because I would actually say that if in our Christian liberty we define these things through a paradigm that is not scripture, that's through culture, the way that we want, the way that our flesh is currently acting, then what we do is we actually begin to become enslaved again to those things. We become enslaved to culture. We become enslaved to our own flesh. We become enslaved to our own emotions. And that's how we begin to lose that freedom to express those things without restraint. Is if we do it through a paradigm that is not scripture. But as we surrender to the truth of scripture, it means that this fruit within us doesn't need to have limit, that doesn't need to have restraint, that is almost like a, that is a renewable resource in our lives and in our hearts. But this all kind of maybe sounds a bit utopian when you hear me say this. Like expressing these things all without limits? What about when my patience wears thin? What about when I experience compassion fatigue? What about my mental health struggle that makes it hard to be joyful without measure or restraint? Doesn't expressing these things without limits mean that I just give of myself so much that there's nothing of me left? I know it can be easy to hear that when, when we talk about that. But I don't think this is what scripture means when it says against such things there is no law. I think what scripture means by this is as we keep in step with the spirit, this fruit is renewed and continues to grow, not by your own strength, not by what you dictate around you, not by what's going on internally, but by the spirit of God that is powerful in you. Because you can't naturally ripen fruit faster than it's intended. Of course, you can have... Uh, an environment that, that encourages growth and that, and that encourages optimal speed of growth. But you can't ripen fruit naturally by just like willing it to happen. 
And this is the same, I think, in our walk with Jesus. I think sometimes those moments where our patience wears thin, when we, experiencing, when we experience compassion fatigue, where if we catch those things early, I think they're actually not necessarily restraints at plate that are placed on, on, on expressing the fruit of the Spirit, but are actually invitations for us to do some self-regulating. Like, do we need to pause? Do we need to get professional help? Do we need to talk to a pastor? Do we need to pray? Do we need to allow someone else to express the fruit of the Spirit in our lives? Do we need to be filled by Jesus again? Because I think all of those things actually are keeping in step with the Spirit. Getting help when we need it is keeping in step with the Spirit. Pausing sometimes to catch our breath is keeping in step with the Spirit. Leaning on Jesus and those around us is keeping in step with the Spirit. Because keeping step with the Spirit looks different in different seasons. But as we do so, whatever that looks like, whatever the season brings us, whatever uh, we're feeling and experiencing around us, fruit can continue to be produced by the Spirit of our lives without limit. And even when we ourselves and our body feel limited, the Spirit can continue to produce that without measure in our lives. That yes, we may feel constrained by our mental health struggles, but that the Spirit can produce joy in a measure that's beyond what we're constrained by in our, in our minds. That yes, sometimes that professional help is a part of producing that joy. That yes, when our patience wears thin, that we can ask for that again and the Spirit will produce that fruit of patience in us. And so I think that's what keeping in step with the Spirit is. Is knowing what season you're in and walking with the Spirit through that season and, and, and experiencing the blessing of that fruit being produced within in spite of all of those things. So we've called this series Markers of Maturity, but I th if I'm being honest, for a long time, I wouldn't have actually attributed the fruit of the Spirit to be the markers that I would see as maturity for me. You see, what I would have attributed to a marker of maturity is the other of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit. Ones like prophecy, word of knowledge, healing, mercy, all of the other ones through scripture. Because to me, these ones seem to be much more flashy, for a long time, they arrested my focus much more than the fruit of the Spirit, where I would see people around me operating those gifts and think, wow, they must be mature because they're operating in those gifts. They must be mature because, you know, they've experienced this upper echelon of faith that, that I'm not there yet. And that's why they can do that. That's why they're able to give that word of prophecy. That's why they're able to give that word of knowledge. That's why they're able to be merciful to that person. But I think it's so interesting when we look at the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit to see sometimes how they differ from each other. For instance, we see that there is no uh, limit placed on expressing the fruit of the Spirit, but we see in other teaching that Paul's very specific about the constraint put on operating in the gifts of the Spirit, where in 1 Corinthians 14, he talks about uh, order of worship where you know, a certain number of people are able to prophesy when people are gathered together. That you need to do it in turn with each other, not talking over each other. That if there's a word of tongues that's given, that there needs to be an interpretation. And so we see kind of these constraints that are placed uh, on, on spiritual gifts. When we see the lack of restraint on the fruit of the Spirit, it can seem like, oh, well, are they adding some type of law to gifts of the Spirit? But that's not true. The constraint is there for the, for the good of expressing those spiritual gifts for the good of witnessing to non-believers, for the good 
of edifying each other so that, you know, mixed messages don't happen so that we don't get um, stuck in, in too many of those things and don't really know kind of where we land on all of that. And so that's why kind of the, we see that contrast between the two because the fruit of the spirit and the gifts of the spirit are both essential aspects of the work of the spirit in the life of believer. I'm not saying that, that the gifts of the spirit are not an essential part of the work of the spirit in our lives. It is. But I find that we have so often, and it's easy to focus so often on gifts of the spirit over the fruit of the spirit. And I know that I have. I have done that before. Because to me, giving prophecy to the church, uh, being somebody who heals that person, being somebody who spiritually kind of reads someone's mail with a word of knowledge, I thought that was a sign of a mature Christian. And although those gifts are important aspects of the work of the Spirit, and although those gifts mature in us as we walk with the Spirit, friends, they mean nothing if we are not first rooted in the fruit of the Spirit. We are not first rooted in the fruit of the Spirit. And I think that's why the fruit of the Spirit are markers of maturity. Because if we, we can express all the gifts we want, but if we're not rooted in, in being mature people who have fruit of the Spirit, then they mean nothing. When talking about the danger of focusing on the gifts of the Spirit before focusing on the fruit of the Spirit, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1 to 3. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. If I have not love, if I have not love, if I have not that first fruit of the Spirit and all that come after. And so I think in this season, we are being invited by the Spirit to focus on the fruit. To focus on the fruit because what we focus on determines our trajectory. Because friends, it's easy to see that our world's most fractured, divided, broken, hurt, and confused that I think it's, or at least I've ever seen. That it's broken, it's hurting. It needs something and someone to show them what is true. And so operating in our spiritual gifts is important. It's something that we're commanded to do, to seek after in scripture, but only after we are first rooted in the fruit of the spirit. And that is what shows the world Jesus. Because in a world that finds love in all the wrong places, in a world that is at conflict with one another where there is no peace, in a world that has diluted what is true goodness, and in a world that continues to, to encourage the relentless pursuit of more and more and more, and if you want it, take it at any measure and whatever amount that you want. What if we gave the gift of a body of believers who exemplify without measure what is true to be loving, what is true to be joyful, patient, peaceful, kind, good, faithful, and self-controlled. And then have the gifts of the Spirit come as an overflow of that fruit and example. I think that would show the world 
what is missing. I think it would show the world that is miss what it is missing, and that is Jesus, who exemplifies all of those fruit of the Spirit in perfection. And yet we get to be people who, who show the world as well what it means to be all of those things. Friends, it's not a performance. It's not a performance that we can put on because that fruit, if it's tasted and, and is synthetic, like Pastor Lisa talks about, we'll know. Like people can taste that, they can sense that. But as we have the fruit of the Spirit be produced within us by the Spirit, to be grown and rooted within our hearts, then it shows the true authentic nature of who God is. And as we operate and are rooted in those fruit, that the gifts of the Spirit that we're also given as a grace can be expressed in a way that does show Jesus, that does resonate with people, that does last and land with the people who need it most. And so as we close off our time together, I just want to reread Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 to 23 again. It says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Well, as we respond to that word that God has just spoken to our hearts today, I want to invite you to, into a moment of simply surrendering yourself to the Spirit to do a work in each one of us. And to allow the truth of this scripture and what those words truly mean to root in our hearts in a deeper way so that we can show the world who Jesus is together. So God, we do take this moment, uh, and, and if we feel comfortable with our hands raised in a posture of surrender, to say, Lord, do your work within us. Holy Spirit, produce this fruit within us. May this be the foundation that we set our lives on, that is through the paradigm of your word, that's through the obedience to your word, that we would each determine in ourselves today to surrender uh, those things that can hinder any of these, these fruit that, that are in us. And that Holy Spirit, we relinquish control for you to do that work within us. And so I pray that you would, because we know that you are faithful to do so. And that as that grows and matures and produces within us, that we can show your love, your joy, your peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control to a world who needs it. And so Lord, may we be agents of that today, that are mature in our faith that shows the mature fruit that you give us by our spirit. And so may we continue to keep in step with you today and trust you in the process that comes along with that. We thank you and we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, thanks for, for staying with me today. I have two announcements for you. The first is that we are actually having our first in-person gathering again on July 4th. Uh, it feels fitting that 4th of July, I guess down south, is like a celebration because that's what we're gonna be doing at church. We're gonna be having a celebration together. We're gonna be worshiping together. We're gonna be hearing the word together. We're gonna be in community in person with each other. And we're so excited to do that. We're not 100% sure yet what the restrictions will be on uh, what those gatherings will look like. And we probably, and we won't know until July 1st. But we are saying that we're happening. It's gonna be going on July 4th. And so stay tuned to social media, stay tuned to your emails. And uh, that's where you'll get all of the updated information as we receive the information as well. But mark that as your calendars, as a day to come together in celebration. We're so excited to join you in person. We can't wait for that moment together. And then finally, if 
you are wanting to give to uh, what Evangel does here in Powell River, we would so appreciate that. Uh, if you want to give, there are many ways to do that as you partner with God and what he is doing here in, in uh, Powell River. So if you go to myevangel.church forward slash give, it will give you all the ways to do that. Um, and we would love to just have you continue to partner with us. And we thank you for the faithfulness, the fruit of faithfulness that you've shown in uh, partnering with us up until this point as well. So God bless you. I pray that you have a great Sunday. Uh, go love on your dads today. Go honor them. Go, I don't know, get ice cream with them. Do something fun uh, because we really appreciate the, the place that they hold in our lives. Thanks so much, friends, and we'll see you again.